Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello and welcome to another episode of Alec Mappa. Hot mess with Matthew Dempsey, psychotherapist. I'm Alec Moff. I'm an actor, comedian. I live in Hollywood. And I'm Matthew Dempsey. I'm a multicultural counselor and psychotherapist and happy to be talking to you, Alec. I finally figured out why I keep getting it wrong. <laughs> it's why? the Hot Mess podcast, but my name is in the title. Okay. Alec Mappa colon hot mess. Uh, we love Alec Mappa's colon. <laughs> <laughs> You called me a chihuahua yesterday. I didn't call you a chihuahua. You, you, I just you post- posted a meme saying this is Alec Mappa responding. And then I can't even get mad at it. <laughs> I'm small it was, and I'm noisy. It was, I posted it in my Instagram stories. It was the cutest little video of a dog who was kind of yapping at a microphone. And I just thought of our I thought of our podcast. It's cute. It's cute. So you have to pick me up and cuddle me like a chihuahua the next I will. Just don't yap and bark if you like that. You better. So um, I had an interesting day yesterday. What I'd like to share it with you. I, a friend of mine was visiting from out of town, um, mm-hmm. who I'd done a movie with, was visiting from Canada, and uh, they love Santi Alley. Uh-huh. She's a big drag queen from Vancouver. Okay. And she loved buying fabric in Santi Alley. So I took her down to Santi Alley, and, but I, I was in such a rush to get downtown in time, I forgot to take my meds. I didn't take my meds. There were, it was a show you were going to. Santi Alley's show, is that what you're saying? No, San, you've never been to Santi Alley? No. Is Santi Alley... Santi- Santiali is a shopping district downtown. <laughs> I thought Santiali was the queen that you were talking about. I'm no. like, oh, does she perform? Where? No, no. <laughs> Santiali is a shopping district downtown. Okay. Very popular <laughs> with anybody who needs fabric. Okay. <laughs> anybody who wants to, like, they, and they sell everything clothes, makeup, jewelry. But I mean, there's a, a quinceanera gowns, beautiful, Ooh. beautiful um, dresses. And um, a lot of drag queens and crossdressers go down there because a lot of guys show up, like my friend, and said, I'm a size 24. And they'll just pull it down. <laughs> up. I'd for, so we all caught up. Santi Alley. That's Got it. I'm with you. Okay. I have a point to this. Okay. Stay with me. <laughs> I'd forgotten to take my meds. I'm on Lexapro. Uh huh. Oh, well, welcome everybody to the Hot Mess Podcast. This is a mental <laughs> health podcast, by the way. I have to keep on stressing that. Preface up. it so you know where welcome we're at. Welcome back. Welcome back. If, you, if you're if you a longtime listener, first time listener, welcome, welcome, welcome. Download and subscribe. Um, I've forgotten to take my meds. Mm-hmm. And I was fine for most of the morning, but I felt as I was going home a little droopy, a little really? kind of like I like the wind had been let out of my sails. And it didn't take until like three or four o'clock till I was like physically feeling a difference in my body. Interesting. Okay. Has that happened to you before where if even just not taking your, med, your meds for one day, you could notice that there it was a shift? It wasn't as noticeable before as it had been yesterday. Like yesterday, I was like, something's different. I mean, I didn't want to jump off a building or something, but right. I could, And my husband said that last night while we were watching Black Mirror, yeah. I was a little... Mm-mm. So I think it's part of um, the thing that drives me during the day is it, it's like my floor, my meds. Right, yeah. It kind That's of like, interesting. I would talk to your doctor about that. Anybody who's, you know, maybe having any, uh, you know, issues with meds, if you forget to take it one day, whatever, talk to your doctor about it because most of the time it usually takes a good two to four weeks before you notice anything. When you first get on meds, it takes about that time to start noticing the uh, effect of it for your body <laughs> to start regulating it. So that if you miss your meds for like, you know, a, a day or two, it, that that could potentially be more kind of psychosomatic. The, the fact that, you know, you didn't take it. And so it just might be more of. Oh, of do you kind think that I could have been tired and I was just like, oh, my meds. Yeah, yeah it could have been. T- Listen, because our meds really kind of help us achieve a baseline. And so it doesn't necessarily mean that it, it takes away any kind of emotional or psychological discomfort that we might feel. It just puts us at a baseline. So you could still have moments where you might feel down. You mm-hmm. could have also just been tired. But in your mind, knowing that you didn't take the medication, it could have maybe kind of amped it up a bit more. And oh, thought okay. That, that, that is a it. very thorough and believable explanation. 
Matthew Dempsey psychotherapist with two masters yes, yes, yes. from because I think usually I you know, with my meds it gives me I feel and people go you know what's it like to be on antidepressants I feel everything yeah I feel all of my feelings I just don't spend all day with them exactly exactly and yeah. um and I don't feel despair and hopelessness yeah exactly. I can touch on it. I can like, oh, I can, but I don't go there. I don't spend the whole day going, oh, yeah. no. A lot oh. of people have the fear that you're going to turn robotic, right? Like that you'll be mechanical or that you'll be just kind of out of it, that you won't mm -hmm. be able to have a presence of mind. But there's a lot of great medications out there that that can be really helpful and still kind of keep you feeling very human. I, you know, I really didn't think through this opening Thing, well, because I was well, thinking, also, but I will tell you because you you did have you did have your own little organic segue in there because you were talking about what gives you your baseline, your drive, your, your motivation, drive, right? Does that work? Does it line up? I'll take that for two. Okay. <laughs> well, what's your okay? So it that the the meds kind of like give me <laughs> the push to get out of the house, yeah, and the push to like complete tasks. Yes. Do you have like an inner motor that keeps you going? Holy shit. Uh, there's a few different things. I'm very kind of like, you know, uh, uh, full up on my self-care stuff. Like I wake up in the morning, I do a quick 10 minute meditation on like a meditation app. I do my mm -hmm. gratitude journal and believe it or not, that stuff really gets me in, in addition to coffee. So I've got mm -hmm. my caffeine. Mm -hmm. That's the stuff that really sets the tone uh, for the day for me and puts me more at a baseline so that I then can kind of like do more of the things that I need to do. But, you know, no matter what, it's like always struggling to sometimes, you know, there's days where I still struggle to find motivation to do the things right. that I want to keep going. Uh, so, you know, but again, just kind of puts me at a baseline. Are you are you diligent in your kind of mindfulness practice? Yeah, or there's some days where you're like, oh, you are very diligent. I'm about very it. diligent about it. Kind of in this kind of in the same way that it's my approach to like going to the gym. You know, it's like I don't go mm -hmm. to the gym seven days a week. But, you know, I've got a healthy practice where I do, you know, most of the week I'll, I'll go and work yeah, out. So I've it's like an your Instagram. My Instagram is not thirsty. So there's there's little to see. But <laughs> I didn't say it was thirsty. I said you had some very revealing photos. <laughs> that's true. That's my own uh, my own insecurity coming up about there's it. There's huh? a Speedo uh, photo. Of you. That's that's fantastic. Listen, I, I wish I had the confidence to wear a Speedo. I mean, I, I look pretty fucking cute right now, but a, a Speedo. Yeah. I'm not speedo. Kid. What What are the things for you when you when you when you do have your solid baseline? What are Look the how things he changed the subject for you? We're off the speedo completely. What are the things for you that keep you going? Like how do you how do you stay motivated to keep whatever it is with professional goals, creative goals, personal stuff? Like what? Is, I, how do you keep going? I think a mindfulness practice is. I don't know how anybody gets through life without getting their mindset. Yeah into things. Yes. And a, a lot of my mm. mindfulness practice has been lately in doing the best I can, showing up and surrendering. Yes. What, okay, what do you, but what are you surrendering? That's a good that's a good I'm surrendering. Okay. For example, I can be prepared as I can for an audition. Right. But my mindset going in is I'm going to do my best and I'm going to show up. Yes. And really bring myself into the room. 100%. What I'm not doing is showing up saying I have to get this job. This job yes. is mine. I'm here to get this job. It's kind of like, nope, that never, that mindset doesn't work for me. I show up, offer my best and kind of let it go. Totally. That's a, something that we talk about a lot on the show is the difference between attachment, like attachment to outcome yes, and just kind of a mindfulness a presence of mind and connection, just being available for the moment. Because, right. and that's a, that's a thing I'm constantly checking in with myself too, because it's so easy sometimes whether it's, you know, working with clients in my private practice, like how many clients do I have? How much money am I making? Or if I'm like, you know, creating, you know, video content, you know, like how many views is it getting? It's putting so much pressure and so much power into the things that are like the outcomes of it. The outcome of it. As opposed to just being present for whatever the thing is, like, you know, for, you know, just having a conversation right now with you instead of how many people are listening or, you know, <laughs> how a conversation is going or therapy is going with my clients or how fun it is to create video content, you know, yes. um, having that. So it's like the intention. What What's the objective? Am I doing this to have fun in this moment and to connect to like whatever's happening in real time? Or am I trying to fuel myself with like the bullshit down the road? Because that never is sustainable. Today's guest Yes. has a PhD in releasing outcomes. <laughs> we have Shangela today. Yes. Who not only was on RuPaul's Drag Race one season, was eliminated first, 
was on season three, yes. eliminated again. Yes. Was on All Stars, made it all the way to the end, didn't win, and it has not stopped her. Oh my God. Yeah. Like amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Success and across the board. Across the board. And yes. is, is now, we can't wait to bring uh, uh, Shangela onto the show. So yes, we're lucky, we're lucky. Back. Yes, but we're lucky, we're lucky to know, we're lucky to know him personally too, DJ Pierce, also That's known right. as Shangela. DJ Pierce, known as Shangela. And we are gonna bring DJ Pierce, um, also known as Shangela, onto the program immediately <laughs> after these important messages. Wasn't that genius, the way I tied everything together like that? <laughs> it's great. Oh, thank you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We are thrilled to welcome our guest today. You may know him from RuPaul's Drag Race season two, where he was the first person voted off only to make a surprise appearance in season three and later return again for All Stars season three. He stars in the HBO series We're Here, my favorite show, which follows him and his castmates traveling to small towns across America. It's a hilarious show and season two just premiered on HBO. Yep. I've, he's been my friend forever. Please welcome to the show, DJ Pierce, also known as Shangela. Welcome. Yay. Yay. Uh, applause, applause, applause. <laughs> I've known you for 14 years. Wow. I know. You have. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> like, I've I known did, you three shows. Uh, and, and, and what we've noticed, what I've noticed about you is you're like, you're a vampire. You can't, you're unkillable. They can't kill you with a stick. Can't kill you with an elimination. Like you will keep going no matter what. Where does that come from? Well, let's not let anyone get any ideas to try. Right. Uh, as many have. <laughs> Who says she was unkillable? Watch this. Right. No, uh, <laughs> you know, it just, I have a worker spirit. And I think the reason I have a worker spirit is because I grew up watching the people around me be hard workers. Uh, I was raised on a part of my life on my grandparents. Um, my grandpa was a farmer. He mm. worked every day from sunrise until sunset and would start again the next day through the weekends. And my mom is a military veteran. She worked nonstop. When she came out of the military, she had sometimes two, three jobs even uh, in Paris as a single mother making ends meet. And I just knew that's what you did to make it in life. You mm. went out there and you worked. You were you didn't you weren't afraid of the work. So that's I think what has continued to propel me my entire life and career. Yeah, that's amazing. Okay, let me ask you this question because this is something that I kind of wrestle with sometimes too. Um, I also kind of grew up with like a single mom, and you know she ha she had to like hustle just to survive, just to kind of keep three kids alive and to kind of do well enough. But like, I'm so kind of like fortunate and now privileged in a place where I don't have to work necessarily to survive. Yet sometimes I kind of still have that like in the back of my mind. So for you, how do you make the distinction um, between working hard towards something that you really feel passionately about and care about without it being this kind of like this like toxic hu hustle culture kind of work mentality? Yeah, well, I honestly feel that you never, at least for me, no matter how much money I've made or the different milestones and career wise I've gotten to, sometimes I you never lose that uh, mentality of well, I, I want to call it almost a poor man's mentality where you're right. like, okay, I gotta work. I don't want to get into a position where I don't have the means, you know, to pay the light bill, to put food on the table, to make sure that things are taken care of, or if someone gets sick, what about a nest egg? You gotta have savings, you gotta have this and that. So I think that's always been in my brain, one, financially. Always? Well, yeah, because um, I just, I if it wasn't me and I was the firstborn male in my family, it was me being able to not only take care of myself, but also take care of my mom, mm -hmm. help out my grandparents, you know, to now in this position where I'm in now, it's looking at the kids, you know, my cousins for uh, my little god kids or my nieces and nephew. And I look at them and I'm like, okay, I want to be able to help them have a leg up the way that 
you know, maybe I didn't, or uh-huh. there were people in my life who did help me. Well, who's going to help them? And mm-hmm. I want to be the person to be able to help them, whether it's, you know, setting up a trust or it's just being able to help buy clothes for the dance class or pay for the dance class. Mm-hmm. You know, those little things that help kids to have greater opportunity to be able to want to work for more. So that's what I'm always, you know, working toward. And yeah, I just don't stop, I guess. Yeah. So you're Good. kind of what I'm hearing is that you you've kind of taken on a <laughs> patriarchal role in your in your family. You're kind of like looked at as the provider. Everybody goes to DJ for whatever they need. You know, it's it's part patriarchal and part of it's just my own mentality. I'm very the Reese Witherspoon in little fires everywhere in a way. <laughs> you know, it'd be like I want to have everything when I'm home and you know, I spent 10 years on the road. Um, traveling and touring from 2010 to all, to pretty much 2020, Holy I God. was on the road and working. So the only times that I really was home was holidays. That's the only mm-hmm. time I'd make it home mm-hmm. and I'd be home for a m- maximum three to four days. Right. Mm-hmm. And so you don't really, you know, financially was the way that I would kind of make up for my, for lack of a better word, FOMO, you know, like yeah. I'm missing out. I'm not there. I can't help take care of people hands-on, but I can help financially. Right. You know, and that's what led me to being able to buy a house for my grandma in 2019 mm-hmm. um, and kind of, for lack of a better word, I guess, move us out. Of, not, not even lack of a better word, just the truth to move us out of the hood into the yeah. place that we're in now. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it is that space of wanting to help. I don't have any kids of my own. I'm not in a relationship with a committed partner right now. So it's just basically me. And I love actually, I actually, it's selfish in a way. I love being able to help take care of my mom, my grandma, mm-hmm. the kid, you know? Yeah. yeah. Anybody you, who follows you on social media will see that. I mean, you, yeah, you there's so much it. a part of your, your mom who I've met, who's absolutely lovely. I have not met your mother, your grandmother, who you refer to as Grandula, which I absolutely <laughs> love. You- yeah, but I love. I, but I love one of the things that I love about you because yes, on like social media, you get to see how you are with your family, which is so fucking sweet and endearing. Um, but also, it comes. There's. It seems, to, at least to me, that there is this natural kind of caretaking, almost parental kind of vibe that you have. Because even in like, I'm obsessed with we're here. I've seen it all. Um, and I just like, I'm, it just stands out to me every time you're working, you know, with the person that you get to work with that episode, you have like a very specific kind of like naturally, uh, nurturing kind of presence Mm -hmm. about you, the way that you connect with them. It's so, Mm -hmm. it's so loving, but you're also like firm and on it. And it's just like, it just seems like such a natural part of you. Have you always kind of like been that caretaking, uh, person? Yeah. I think if you grow up maybe some people listening to this will attach to this or identify with it. Growing up in a house with older people, like with my grandparents, I was like, I wanted to care give, you know, you're like, Oh, don't do that. Graham. Let me help you. Or I was always very um, helpful, I think, but I was also nurtured as well. So I saw what that kind of love look like. I, I know what it felt like. And I wanted to give that to other people. And also when you grow up with not a lot around you, you find yourself um, looking for ways to make things better. I think that's part of the why I became interest and love for being an entertainer is because mm-hmm. if things were rough, you know, financially or, or whatever, I wanted to make people laugh, make people smile. Let me tell a joke. Let me dance. Let me, you know, let's bring some joy in here. And that's kind of, I've kept that with me my entire life. You know, it's interesting. You talk about uh, the influences of watching people work and the, and you get their work ethic. And Matthew, you talked about your, your mother taking care of you guys. I think what my parents gave me is they were both survivors of war. They survived mm. World War II, absolute privation. My grandmother, all, there's good and bad to that. The good is they, they grew up with the mindset that what's happening now, no matter how bad it is, it's not forever. And so you can't look at your present circumstances as the final outcome mm-hmm. There's because they overcame so much. And the bad part about that is, is that all of my problems growing up were bullshit. It's like, I don't feel well today. Oh, really? Did the Japanese bomb the house? Are you starving again? Get the fuck out of bed. Go to school. So um, it's so walk us through. 
what I what I'm interested with you, DJ, is like the moments of struggle met with that mentality. Like, okay, for example, your first season on Drag Race, you get eliminated first. When does that mentality for you kick in? Of like, okay, I gotta I gotta meet this moment with this. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you. Um, after season two of Drag Race, you know, I'd only been tra- performing in drag for like five months prior mm-hmm. to going, oh, wow. getting the opportunity to go on Drag Race. I'd only done drag 10 times total. I Whoa. didn't even do my own makeup at the time. I remember I'd go to this, uh, this, I must said this guy, but my friend's house and he would do my face for me because his, uh, he was a makeup artist that I'd met doing a theater show. I was doing Lacage in LA in Riverside mm-hmm. uh, once. And he was like, oh girl, he's old queen. You know, he was like, girl, you should do drag. And I'm like, no, I never done drag. He's like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to do your makeup. We're going to go over here to the hair lounge and put you in the amateur show. <laughs> so they saw me performing there. The casting people, uh, remember a young lady named Lisa who worked with casting for drag race. And she was like, you have to audition for the show. And I was like, oh, no, no, I've seen the show. I'm not going on TV as a woman. I haven't even told my family back in Texas that I'm even doing drag. I've only done it. (laughs) So I ended up auditioning and got on the show. And I remember being the first one off. I was like in shock, I guess, because in my mind, I was an amazing performer. That's how Mm I've always walked forward in life. Like, oh, I'm if I'm going for something, I'm winning. I'm turning it out, baby. Watch me show up. And that's how I made a name for myself on the L.A. scene in a very small amount of time. Mm-hmm. You know, there she was, death dropping. She's twirling. She's up on the bar. Right. She's doing stunts. She's coming in on motorcycles. You know, and I had just started drag in L.A., but they let me start hosting a show within like weeks of me first starting drag because I was good on the microphone. Mm-hmm. So um, I went into thinking I even quit my job. I was working in PR at the time at a firm called LeGrant Communications in downtown L.A., and I remember saying, like, I'm, I need three weeks off, up to three weeks. You know, I'm going to go do this reality show. And my boss was like, what show? And I'm like, RuPaul's Drag Race. He goes, I didn't even know you. Do you do drag? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, yeah. Sometimes at night, like once every two weeks or something. And he was like, well, that really doesn't align with our companies, like our clients and their policies and values and stuff. So if you go do that show, we may just have to let you go. I bet it does now. Oh, wow. Well, I <laughs> yeah. thought it was like... Okay, you know, that's fine. I came to L.A. to work as an actor. I was like at the time, you know, working at the office and trying to do background work or like auditions between like on my lunch breaks and Mm -hmm. changing in the backseat of my car. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to try it. Plus, the prize was twenty thousand dollars. I was like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) make all my dreams come true. Twenty grand. Oh, yes, ma'am. The riches. The (laughs) rich. So and after they called me sashay away after only being there for two days. I was back home, no job, no income, no $20,000. And I thought, me? I mean, I'm amazing. What do you you mean? (laughs) Now, looking back at it, God knows I walked in the door with a dream and no makeup, no makeup for a drag show. (laughs) But I was like, I I, I didn't know what to do. So it was probably like a couple days of that, like just kind of around the house, like, what am I going to do? But I've always been a head down, work your way through this kind of person. And that's when yeah. that kicked in. And back during the days of season two, Alex, you probably remember this, like they would announce the cast in November, but mm-hmm. the show wouldn't premiere until the end of January. Correct. So we had about a three month window in which people knew you were on the show. They saw you on the poster, but they didn't know what the placement yeah, was. Yeah, they didn't know Before, the like, order of yeah. the elimination. Before the big YouTube spoilers and all that kind of mm-hmm. world happened, this is way before that. So um, I remember thinking, okay, and everyone who knew me in LA was like, oh, Miss Shangela is winning. She gets on, she's charisma, uniqueness, nerd right. got it in the bag. Yeah. And so I used that and started booking myself with clubs, or not only in LA, but outside of LA. I was calling them, pretending to be a different name, saying like, oh, hi, this is, you know, DJ Pierce. I'm calling the book exchange. I'm her manager, you know, and I would get them <laughs> under contract to book me at a certain price. And then when the show came out and I was the first one gone, they couldn't cancel the contract. They already had me. Uh, so they're like, well, you're the first one. I said, I know. I didn't even know either. Oh, my God. I am. <laughs> but they already had me booked. So I would go and I would do an amazing job. And then they would book me again. So that's how I wow. started getting real traction. And that's actually how I got to come back on Drag Race season three, because the producers saw that, like, I worked my butt off. Yeah. yeah. And really made something out of just one episode. 
So yeah, that, but right. yeah. I saw you after the show, a perform at House of Blues at Entertainer of the Year before right. you'd gone on again. And that was Shangela 3.0. You were completely, your makeup was done. I mean, you, your, you were, you were, it, there was a whole number you did a, you did a, you were doing Twilight. Yep. And you had a whole, um, you had a whole dance number with werewolves. <laughs> <laughs> and vampires and vampires. Yes. Um, my producer has a great question. We have a great producer, Stephanie Kaysen, who does all our interviews and helps us and, uh, and a great, uh, sound, uh, producer, uh, Jackson Ruff. We have a wonderful team and she's asking, uh, in the pre-interview, he said, you didn't even know who Shangela was at the very, very beginning. How do you find that character? How do you find who Shangela is in all of this? Yeah, I remember being on stage during season two and Michelle Visage asked me, is being a drag queen really even what you want to do? I think mm. that was season two. It may have been three, but I remember her asking me that. Yeah, because Michelle wasn't there season two. So it was season right. three. And I remember thinking, why would she think that? Like, I'm in a drag competition. This is my second time back. Mm -hmm. Like, why would she ask? She never asked anybody else that question. It's because I'm new. Like, why? And it was partially, I think, because even I didn't know who Shangela was fully. Remember, when I went on season two, I'd only done drag 10 times. Right. So, and being a drag entertainer and finding your identity in drag is a journey. And I knew that on stage, I knew what I wanted and I knew like I wanted to be like Beyonce. I wanted to be fire on stage. I want to entertain people. But I didn't know all of when they would say, well, who is Shangela? I'm like, she's fun. (laughs) (laughs) She wears a wig. She got a wig. Oh, yeah, that's her. She looked. Yeah. So it was a journey of discovery for myself, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. So when you're on that journey and you're trying to figure out who Shangela is, what was it that started tipping you off to kind of like who, who Shangela really is? Yeah, it was figuring out when, how one of it, one piece of it was the way that people would respond to me when mm-hmm. I was dragged. Yeah. And feeling that type of power, um, yeah. you know, having in how you relate to people, how you can influence them in their experience. That was one part I said, okay, this person that I'm creating, this is a powerful person. It's not just about entertainment on stage because people would meet me after the bar, still in drag, you know, tip around and say, oh my gosh, Shandra, I love seeing you this or saw you on Drag Race and it touched me. And that's really a part of me figuring out who Shangela was, the influence that I had in drag was because after people saw season three of Drag Race and seeing me fight so hard, but not win. Yeah. Seeing me, you know, not give up though and keep going. Yeah. People would draw their own inspiration, their own relationship to that journey. So I was like, oh, wow. Okay. This is a part of who I am. This is a part of who I am. This is my message. This is part of my purpose. But Mm. it's always an ongoing thing. It's an ongoing thing to really know yourself. Yeah. And I had to learn new things about myself in and out of drag. Yeah, it sounds like it's not, it wasn't even necessarily just a part of who you are, but it was almost like the essence of who you are. Like you said, you wanted to go on on stage and be like fire. And like the fire for you has been how kind of like diligent you can be and how much you could show up and how you could bring kind of the best of yourself and actually have that be the, the kind of purest expression of who you are, but also in a way that gets to inspire other people. Like that's the essence mm-hmm. of like Shangela, right? It's not like oh, I'm doing it because this is fun. It's like, no, this is truly like the message that I have to offer. Well, and I had to keep it real with myself too, because, you know, it's one thing to be a drag entertainer and character, but now let's throw in reality television, mm. right? Right. You go into reality TV and I always wanted to work as an actor. I always wanted to work in entertainment. Um, fame with that sounds. Oh, yeah, of course. I'd love to be famous. Oh, my mm-hmm. God. People yeah. want to take a picture with you. People want to ask you. But when it becomes a reality, mm-hmm. okay, there was no blueprint. There yeah. was no roadmap. There is no guide that teaches you how to be fa- quote unquote famous. Yeah, it's called how VH1 to- behind the music. That's there what you not to do. <laughs> and I'm gonna tell you, if I was, if I did not have great mentors in my life, if I did not have like my relationship with Jennifer Lewis at the mm-hmm. time and still to this day, um, I don't know what I would have, who I would be yeah. today. Because yeah. there's one attitude about me that's the work attitude, got it. But the, the mental weight 
of going on to reality television, especially a competition. Okay. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. a competition that you don't win. Mm-hmm. So now if you're not the winner, what are you? You're the loser. Mm-hmm. And that is what will stick in people's minds. And see, I've never carried myself nor thought of myself as a loser. Right? That's the difference. Yeah. I think and that's so, the difference. But now I have to figure out how, for me, it was, now how do I change people's perception of me? Yeah. Because that mattered to me in my entertainment. They're mm-hmm. not going to be open and receptive to my message if I, they all think that I'm a loser. What they call me on RuPaul's Drag Race season three, a booger. You know, right. and I didn't uh-huh. really know that. And I didn't even know it. No one ever said it to my face, even mm-hmm. like the whole season. No one ever said it to my face. The people were going into confessionals. And that's hard, too. You're doing viewing parties, right? You get booked. You're doing a viewing party. Right. We watch the show at the same time that everyone watches the show. So you're sitting there thinking, oh, these are my homegirls. These are my friends. And you get to the confessional and they are dog reading you to the floor. <gasps> she's bugger, yes. she's horrible, she's ugly. And you're right. standing there with the mic because here comes the commercial break where you talk to the audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've never been like a girl to really read other girls. I was made fun of a lot when I was a kid, whether it's being gay mm-hmm. or having teeth that all went 20 different directions, you know, for just being a mixed kid in, a, in an environment where there weren't many of us. So I always like in my mind was like, I'm not going to make fun of other people because I know it doesn't feel fun to be made fun of. Right. And it's one thing on a competition. Yes, you're going to put people down and you're going to be like, no, I turned apart. That person's horrible. They were gutted. But personal things like she's ugly, you know, this about her. I didn't really do a lot of that. Yeah. There were moments where I probably was a little more loose lipped than I probably should have been. (laughs) But it wasn't my thing. So it really hurt my feelings. You know, I was it. It hurt me personally because yes. I thought, wow, these are my friends. And now not just my friends and the people on the show, but now people's perception of me. Yeah. I'm a loser. I'm a booger. Um, and everything that those people said about me on reality television, if you don't have an opportunity to combat it, then it becomes reality. Yeah. What what you said, stuck, uh, the words change the perception of you really stood out to me because that was a strategic thing I did as an actor. I think when I first came to L.A., you're kind of sneaking into the room when you have an audition and you feel like, OK, maybe I'll get this or it. But so much of the energy you bring into the room defines people's perception of you. Mm-hmm. So when I started getting work, when I started being cast as a series regular, I made the conscious decision of walking into the room. I'm a series regular. And in whatever time that we're together in this room, whether it's five minutes, three minutes, half an hour, you're going to I'm going to think of myself that way so Mm -hmm. that you experience me that way. I mean, it's you really I mean, you have to make a conscious decision to change people's perception of of who you are. Totally. But but and I like the way that you were talking about the energy that you bring in. There's a quote that goes something like uh, where intention goes, energy flows. Um, And intention being the key word really kind of like, why am I doing what I'm doing? Well, like, what's the objective here? And if the objective is, you know, uh, because, you know, I want entertain, you know, I, I want to um, entertain other people or be successful through fame, or I want to get the job or I want to get the, you know, boyfriend or whatever it is. If it's reaching outside of yourself for any kind of validation on the fact that we're okay, then that's the kind of like insecure, not knowing myself energy that we put out and it doesn't really work. It's like building a house of cards. Right. But when the shift happens where like, that's what both of you guys are talking about, where you actually then are kind of forced to turn inward and consider like, who the fuck am I? Who am I? What am I about? And what do I want to put out into the world? Then that's something that can't be shaped or or rattled. I mean, because yeah, it's of up course, to you. Because it's up to you. And of course, anytime you, you know, people are dogging on you or you know, you kind of like don't get a certain level of fame or success, of course that shit can hurt and be upsetting. But, and this is kind of what we're talking about is what keeps driving you is that when you've got that fire burning within you, you know who you are and the, and your intention is to put out the message of that, you'll be able to keep going. That's what is sustainable. Right. Let's talk about that fame for a little second because you brought it up. Um, For a lot of performers, they think that fame is going to be the ultimate end all, be all. It's like when I'm famous, then everything's going to be fixed. And then you have the actual experience of it. It's like, no, it doesn't fix it. So did you have that experience? And and also you said Jennifer kept it real for you. Did you have a moment where you were kind of drinking the Kool-Aid? Because I think out of all the girls, you're one of the ones who's handled it really well. Yes. And I will, I, again, I credit a lot of that to Jennifer Lewis. You know, Jennifer Mm -hmm. has been very vocal uh, throughout life about her struggles and um, treatment with being bipolar. 
Jennifer mm-hmm. was in. She talks about mental therapy. health a lot. Yes, she does. And she was in therapy for 18 years. I moved into the house right after season three of Drag Race um, into her house and lived there up until this day, pretty much, and benefited. You know, I've never been uh, in therapy myself, uh, although I feel that I have benefited from the tools of therapy in a great Mm -hmm. way because Mm -hmm. she would counsel me. She would sit me down and say, you don't see what this is, but baby, let me let me diagnose you real quick. Let me tell you what this moment is. Let me, and then watching how she would navigate the highs and lows of the entertainment world when the phone was ringing, when the phone was not ringing, and how she sustained was very inspirational to me. Do you remember a specific a instance where she counseled you, where you were like, okay, now I get it? Something that well, happened. Yeah. I came back from season three, and she goes, did you win? And I said, uh, no, I didn't win. <laughs> she goes, what? Oh, that RuPaul, honey. I'm going to call that RuPaul. And then <laughs> told me, but I, and she goes, well, how did it go? How did you not win? And I, she goes, but there are no losers in this house. You know, you have to, mm. we're going to carry ourselves forward. You are, you are a winner. You have to hold your head up. But I told her, yeah, but there was a moment that um, I got into an argument with a girl there uh, she said I had a sugar daddy and I don't have mm-hmm. a sugar daddy. So I like went off and and I threw my drink and the girl threw a drink back at me. But, you know, we and she goes, wait a minute. So you're going to be on TV throwing drinks. And I said, yeah, but, you know, she said I had a sugar. You have to understand. She said that mm-hmm. I had a sugar. daddy. I don't have a sugar. Daddy. And she was like, whoa, 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 baby. I know you. I know your essence. I know who you are as a person. You do it. That is not who you are. Number no. one. And number two. You doing that is showing other little kids, other little boys and girls, little babies, that when someone disagrees with them, that they should get up and throw a drink in their face. Is that how you want to influence the children? And I was like, because, you know, I watch reality TV. They have fights on TV. It's not a big And I thought, wow, that's right. Oh, my God. Like, and and I didn't want that to be part of my reputation. I did want to represent the the truth of who I was, the realness. And so when I, when I went out there to work and to perform at clubs and stuff, I would consciously think, I want to walk in here representing who I am as a person. Shangela is a character. Yes. Mm-hmm. Shangela is a heightened sense of who I am. But let's not live too high up there in the clouds. Mm-hmm. We still have to be real. We still have to be humble. Watching the way she would work a room when she would walk in and speak to him. Now, this is Jennifer Lewis. This was someone who I worshiped and loved and still do, who worked so hard and was a huge actress, you know, and she would speak to everybody as if they were her cousin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that taught me. So one, yes, she did counsel me directly, but she also, I learned a lot in just watching her. By example. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. By example. And that is true about Jennifer. I mean, Jennifer has been at the absolute pinnacle of the business. And for any of us, it's just, it's, it's hills and valleys and hills and valleys and how you navigate the in-between time is really going to determine your survival. Um, I love that. I love, I I also, I just want to say that I love the advice that that Jennifer was giving you too about it and kind of like why to avoid, um, you know, acting out defensively in any way. And um, yeah, of course, because, you know, that's not like who we are and, you know, what are we, communicating to other people out there or how are we influencing other people but also even for us anytime that we're acting out in any kind of way defensively like that all that ever does is kind of reinforce this kind of like insecurity within Mm -hmm. us that that's what we need to do in order to be okay in this world so it's not even a you know kind of an issue of like you know take the high road be the better person it's like what am i communicating to myself about what I need to do in order to be safe in the world. Right. So I love that. Well, and that also, I was, I was combating all of the learned behaviors that I had instilled in myself up until that point, because, you know, being gay, being from a small town, not having a lot of money growing up, being, you know, not tall. And I'm about five, five and a half, you know, Mm -hmm. I always felt I had to, overexert myself right. to be heard. And if people were not listening to me, I felt the only way to be heard was to be louder or right. to, you know, you're not going to get over on me. I'm going to, you know, vary that. And I had to go on a journey of learning. Like that is not, that is not helping anybody. It's only hurting yourself. 
Yeah. When someone cuts you off on the road, you're sitting up here yelling and cussing and honking. Baby, the only person that's hearing all that and dealing with all that is you. <laughs> yeah. Let's just go on and say, Lord have mercy. It yeah, just yeah, yeah. yeah, but knowing who you are, even just from listening to this conversation, because we've been friends forever, but knowing who you are within the context of this conversation, so much of your presentation, I mean, your two biggest hits, I, I came to work and I'm a professional. <laughs> so for somebody to say, and that you've worked your ass off to be wherever yeah. you are, in the strata, for somebody to say you have a sugar daddy is completely invalidating, completely invalidates all the hard work that you had done to get there. So I can see how it had triggered totally. you. Totally. Yeah, oh, I, I yeah. felt it in that moment. I said, see. That was a real test. It was, yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, that, nothing was scripted. Nothing. I don't think <laughs> talking that fast anyway, because if I watch it back now, I don't take a breath. I'm literally like, hold on, hold on, let's get a deal yeah. for you. I don't. I have a sugar daddy. I had a sugar daddy. I want a sugar daddy. Right. I saw two hookers get into a fight in New York City when I my first week in New York City in front of Port Authority, and one smashed a glass bottle against the building Oof. and just advanced on the other one. Fa- and without hesitation, it was just uh, kind of like there was no thought process of maybe I shouldn't cut yes. a bitch, but it just happened immediately. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you've owned it since then. Like you've even like in the show said, "I'm not season three Shanji anymore. Seasons three Shanji would have started some shit." But um, you you don't do that. And now you're kind of like, you know, even past, you know, All-Stars, uh, you know, where you did not win All-Stars and everybody said you were robbed. I was one of them um, because I thought, OK, I'm going to get this out of my system and then I'm not going to talk about it. Anymore. The other queens had no business coming back and weighing in on the final decision. And that was really mm. messed up. And it was so messed up that they've never done that again since. But now you've assumed the mantle of kind of like the elder statesperson of drag. Mm-hmm. You're like on the road, you know, going into rural towns and everything. Yeah. Do you find there's a consistent kind of um, – do you find that there's a consistent thought process or nugget of wisdom that you pass on in each uh, town? Good question. What's needed? Well, I will say that um, We're Here has been a great gift to me to be able to work on this show with mm-hmm. my sisters, Bob and Eureka. So good. Uh, yeah. Because, you know, I know what this experience is like. I'm very familiar with it. Uh, I grew up in a small conservative town in America uh, as a young gay person. And so I know what the gay experience is like in a small town, or at least what it was like decades ago. Correct. And now being able to go to these towns and partner with these people to give them a microphone, to amplify their voices, to tell their stories, you know, and help them through it. It's a real gift to me. And I feel that, you know, as much as I'm able to share with them, they they have shared even more with me. Mm. And really, it's not about as much what I'm dropping down. It's about what I'm picking up and what hopefully the world is picking up in being able to see how these people put one foot in front of the other and continue moving forward yeah. with the realities and the pressures and the challenges of life. Yeah, you but I, I think probably the most instrumental, you know, kind of way that you help that along is by all the stuff that we've talked about and kind of like the evolution of Shangela, which is like the essence of like the, the highest version of yourself, which is how to actually just kind of show up non-defensively and kind of bring that strength forward because you so enable those people to get to do the same thing. You create me. I don't even know if you're fully aware of it in the moment, but you create the safest space for mm-hmm. them to explore their own shit and to actually be able to kind of bring it bring it to the forefront. Like you do that and people can't do that as well as, as they've been able to do it without the kind of support that you've, that you've brought to them. Yeah. I'm grateful. And with this show, cause it's a real life docuseries. Um, and we're not, as you are a trained therapist, um, no one's licensed in that area. I, we don't even call ourselves therapists in any way, but we're partners with them. We're yeah. friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're mentors. We're coaches. And really it's, we go in there and we talk to them, but really it's about listening. Mm-hmm. And for me, when I can, I have this ability and um, I don't know where it comes from. I'm sure if we searched, we could pinpoint things, but honestly, I just, I know how to walk into a room, meet someone new and be able to feel how I'm best going to be able to build a connection with them, Mm -hmm. a real authentic connection. Because trust me, when we go to meet people, a lot of them are very nervous. You know, you got cameras around. Mm -hmm. They're telling a very 
personal story, you know, uh, related to themselves. And so um, I get, I feel a lot. I walk into the room and I can feel the energy and go, okay, this one's going to be a harder one. Let me, let me break down these walls. In let me way. adapt. Not, yeah. Let me adapt. Yeah. It's an adapting thing. And it's not like I'm trying to consciously manipulate or maneuver. It's just in any relationship, when you walk in, you can go, all right, these people are open to me right now. I can just start kiki and laughing. Or they're like, who the heck is this? Uh, you know, she ain't getting it from me. Right. <laughs> and you have to be like, okay, let me let me be open and honest and real with you. So yeah. you know that you can be that with me. And then you yes. I visually can see the shift a lot of times when they forget all about cameras mm-hmm. and producers and any of that and just get real. Yeah. When you yeah. when you watch the show, listeners, you see this you see this rapport established in real time. Yeah. There's one episode where the girl uh you you meet somebody who's being misgendered constantly in a small town in one of the episodes yep. and you could see Nicole. that they're very reserved and then you start doing the electric slide together and that was all they needed mm. in order to kind of and also knowing you I met you at a rap party for a movie I did 14 years ago, and you did that at the party. You you have this in you to kind of like I was like, who's that? Yeah, that's a you gift. Talked to everybody. Yeah, that's a gift. And it was it's one of the most endearing things about you. Um, we, we you have a very busy day ahead of you. You have to take care of relatives in Paris, Texas, and um, <laughs> we want watch. We're here. Watch um, all of RuPaul's Please. Drag Race available yeah. on the Paramount Network. Where else can um, people find you on your... Wait, wait, before I do that, I'm ahead of myself, Matthew. Yeah, hot message. <laughs> we usually end the program with, with a hot message. Oh, I day. love a hot message. A yeah. hot message. So <laughs> be one letter away from a hot massage. Hot massage. It could be a hot massage. Um, so... <laughs> we we have listeners who are always we always try to uh, uh, apply your skills and what you've you've made you successful into a hot message of the day. So if some there's somebody who's experienced disappointment in their career or things haven't turned out the way they wanted to, similar to your journey, what would be your hot message to them? Oh, my hot message today would be to press on, do not give up. Mm-hmm. If I had stopped after season two, if I had stopped after season three. If I had stopped after All Stars 3, if I had stopped when I broke a leg on stage doing the death drop Mm -hmm. and snapped the tibia and fibula to the side, honey, if I had given up, I would not be in this beautiful moment that I feel I'm in today. So you have to press on. It will get hard. There will be challenges. There will be uphill climbs. But if you don't give up, if you sit there, if you try to make a plan, if you write your way through, you know, I heard you earlier talking about the gratitude journal. I journal a lot. I write a lot. And it helps me to clear a lot of the things that sit in my mind and just jump around. And, Mm -hmm. you know, so I just say my hot message is don't stop. Keep going. Yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, DJ Changela, my friend, where can people find you on your social medias? (laughs) Oh, okay. So first of all, if you're in LA and you're in Hollywood, I'm performing and hosting a really fun Halloween event on October 30th. Yes. Um, with my friend Frankie Grande and his mom is producing it, uh, Joan Grande, Mama G. And <laughs> it should be really fun. It's at the Bourbon Room in Hollywood on October 30th in the evening. The tickets are available on DiamondDog.com. That's the name of their production company, DiamondDog.com. So come see the doll because I'm putting together something really fun. <laughs> yeah. uh, that being said, you'll you'll always be able to catch me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. I'm at It's Shangela on a lot of those. I-T-S Shangela. You can find me. Yay. And of course, on my website, Shangela.com. Go over there and, you know, there's lots of merch things. You can have the doll at your house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> see? Unstoppable. Unstoppable. Yeah, we yeah. love you and we'll see you soon, okay? Yeah. I love you guys. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye, guys. Another inspirational guest, Matthew. Yes. Yes. Week after week, somebody hands over like a nugget of wisdom that you can really kind of use in your real life. I love him. Yeah. What's your hot message for the day? My hot message is, you know, for sure, keep going, but also pay attention to what does drive you. Why are you doing the things that you're doing? Right. Because, of course, every other external metric of success is great. Right. You get the job, you get whatever it is, the money, Mm -hmm. whatever you need, the fame, fine. 
all that stuff is great. That should be icing on the cake, but you got to bake the cake first. And so that means just checking in on understanding what is it that what is it that lights you up when you're doing it? Let that be the thing that kind of helps you carry your torch. Right. And then everything else will kind of go from there. Let the purpose-driven the life. Yes, the purpose-driven life. The purpose-driven life. Somebody yeah. came up to me uh, when I was on a sitcom years ago and said that you really made my day. I was having a tough day. Yeah. And it wasn't until then that I realized that that's the value of comedy. Uh, that's just the kind of the endorphins that yes. you – and I became more – and I have to remind myself of this because I forget, you know, that that what I bring into the room, making people laugh, it, it really does lighten your spirits. It just kind of like yes. – the thing about humor and laughter is it, it makes you a little less rigid so yeah. you can bend. It really gets you through the tough parts of your life. Yeah. So again, piggybacking on yours is kind of like <laughs> – look at what you're doing – and 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 try to try to rethink it as how is this being of service? Mm-hmm. How is what I do? What how is how can my skill set serve others? Because when you come from a place of serving of service, yes. you, you're sending out a much more powerful beam. Yeah, energy wise, totally. And, and let, let me also just kind of tack onto that too. That I think a lot of times people think of service as what you're doing for other people. Mm-hmm. But whenever you're doing anything that legitimately makes you come alive, even if in that moment, it's not directly helping somebody else, mm-hmm. you yourself are going to light up and everybody else will be able to bask in the glow and feel inspired and kind of more. Open I knew you too. were going to say that because that's, that's your version of you can't give what you don't have. Cause that's if you right. go there and going, I want to be of service and yeah. your well is full of rocks, then you're just going to give everybody rocks. <laughs> exactly. Where can people find you on your socials? Big boy. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at MJ Dempsey Psych and Matthew J. Dempsey Psychotherapy on Facebook. You like being called big boy. I do. You like calling me big boy. I like boy. calling you big boy because you are you're you always kind of light up every time I call you that. You yeah. can find me at Alec Mob on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You can find us both at the Hot Mess Pod on Twitter and the Instagram. Yep. Leave us a message. Leave us a review. Download and subscribe. We're so grateful that you're here yes. with us week after week. We started this podcast so people could talk about life strategies. People could talk about mental health in a way that kind of helps everybody. And it brings us joy. Yes, it does. But we're coming from a good place, right? <laughs> yeah. Tune in next week. We'll have more hot, hot, hot mess. I almost made it through <laughs> without messing up. I'm authentic. Tune in next week and we'll have more hot mess fun. We'll see you there. Bye. Bye, everybody. This has been a Stage 29 podcast production. The podcast is executive produced by Patty Chiano, Laferne Cusack, and Stephanie Kaysen. Our audio editors are Jackson Ruff and Jonathan DeMatty. Callie Kelts is the social media producer. And a special thanks to the rest of our podcast crew, Rwani Horinigay, William Cusack, Lisa Clark, Katie Brown, and Morgan Kaler. This podcast has been produced by Stage 29 Productions for entertainment purposes only. The contents of this podcast does not constitute medical or professional advice, do not reflect the opinions of this company, any of its parent companies, affiliates, subsidiaries, promotional sponsors, or advertising agencies. The views expressed by the hosts and guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. For more information, please go to stage29.tv.